Christmas is pretty remarkable. Um, $12,500 off the MSRP on a new Dodge, all because Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, and all kind of other deals uh, happening during Christmas season. You begin to wonder, how did we get here uh, when we really talk about where Christmas began? If you grew up in church, uh, maybe you never questioned the idea, but if you're, if you're new to church and somehow you, you grew up in this country and, and you just missed all the Christmas stuff and you had your head in the sand and today you're beginning to learn about Christmas for the first time, it's a pretty weird thing. So when we start telling the, the story of Christmas, what it boils down to is, is we have God in, in a baby body uh, born to a virgin. I mean, that's a weird story, huh? I mean, if you've never heard it before, that, that's a strange beginning to the story of God coming to earth. Um, a God who is destined to die and rise again all because I, um, though I'm really a pretty nice guy and I don't do things that bad, all because me, who's a pretty nice guy, needs to be saved from hell and from the penalty of sin. I mean, the whole story is a little bit weird. I think Santa is a little less weird than, than the Bible story. Like, that's almost more believable than walking through all of that. But I'd say the real remarkable thing about Christianity, is about Christmas, is why it even happened in the first place. And the reason that it happened in the first place, to me, is even more unbelievable than the virgin birth. It's more unbelievable than, than some people following a star and that star managing to get them to where they needed to be. It's even more unbelievable than an American-looking Turkish man flying all over the world and going in billions of chimneys one night every year. Uh, the, real, the real reason and the real story of behind Christmas and why it all began to me is even stranger than those things. So why did Christmas begin? You know, like, what's the point of it all, and why did it even get started? 1 John chapter 4. If you want to flip to 1 John chapter 4, uh, this is where I think you can kind of dig back at the root of where Christmas comes from. Uh, three weeks, we'll spend three weeks talking about Christmas, uh, which, is, which is pretty exciting. We finally got through the boring holiday, and now we can get on to the fun one. And the one that makes us poor for the rest of the year and forces people like me to go to the mall who would not go to the mall otherwise. And um, so uh, Christmas, talk about Christmas for a few weeks. So here we go. First John chapter 4. If you can't find it, it's right before Second John. <laughs> okay. Um, First John chapter 4. This is a general letter that John writes to churches. So it's not just to one particular church. You know, when we read a book like Ephesians, it's a book written to the church at Ephesus. This is a general letter written to churches everywhere, but it is written to churches. And so it's written specifically to people who are, who are followers of Jesus all over the world. Here's what he says to them. First John chapter 4 verse 7. He says, Dear friends, he uses this term friends anytime he talks about people in the church. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is where we get to the Christmas part here. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The big point of Christmas, the reason Christmas started in the first place, is because of love. And to say it another way, I'd say, why Christmas? Christmas uh, happened because love must be demonstrated. 
I think that's what you're seeing here in the text. Christmas happened because love must be demonstrated. Parents, how many times have you ever thought about your children, especially when you had to, when you had to, to put forth some harsh punishment? You, you wanted your children to know how much you loved them. And you wanted them to know how much you cared for them. And, and this penalty is not because I, you know, the curfew is not because I hate all your friends, though I you know, may not like them. But it, that's not the reason, right? It's because I love you. If you don't have children, picture your puppy, you know, because they feel the same until you have children, or your bonsai tree or something like that. But there is something that, that, is, that is super important to you that, that you would love to know, you would love for that to know how much you love them. Me, as a, as a teacher, I tell my students all the time, you know, I'm, um, you know I say, I, I don't do this because of the money, because trust me, there are many things with way less stress and way more money that I could be doing. Um, but I do it because, because I love you. And, 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 it's, you know, and they feel awkward and I feel a little awkward, but it's the truth. Right? I got into this, and I do this because I didn't know you when I started, but, um, but I want great things for you. And I don't push you because it just brings me great joy you know, to, to be on you 24-7. Right? I do it because I want some good things for you. And I wish that they could get that the bigger picture here is that we want great things for you. And that we have love for you. And maybe that perspective would cause them to think a little bit differently about the nature of our relationship. How do your kids, how does your spouse, your boyfriend, how do those people know that you love them? It's not because you tell them all the time, right? Lots of people say, I love you, and it's pretty clear they don't mean it. They know because you demonstrate it. How would you feel, what would you think if you had parents who just abandoned you, and then they had the opportunity maybe to find you later, and they just forewent that opportunity, and, and your whole life they just didn't care about you at all, and then you got to heaven, at the, at the end of life you got to heaven, and God says, you know what, they did love you after all? Actually, they loved you a whole lot. You'd say, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, now I question the whole idea of love. Is, does love have any value at all? If that's what love is, the way that, that I was treated, then I don't care for that at all. And the idea is that if love is not demonstrated then it really doesn't have value. The value of having love towards someone is that you show it to them. The whole idea of God being born, and God being born in a barn, and then God dying a gruesome death on a cross and rising again, the, the big question that people say is, and, and that I've asked before too, is why did it have to happen like that? Why this whole story? You know, why, why this, why in this way? Couldn't God just in heaven say, you know what, you guys seem like good people, and so as long as you follow me, I'm going to forgive you. As long as you do all those little things, you know what, you're good. And why did he have to go through it this way? Because God knows you and I intimately. And scripture says he, he knows the hair on our head, right? He, he knows every little bitty thing about us. And what he knows distinctly about us is that you and I need love demonstrated towards us. And if we're going to understand and we're going to feel God's love, we needed to see it. And God said, so I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to demonstrate my love towards them in a way that they can't even imagine. 
And I'm going to demonstrate my love to them. And even bigger than parting a sea, and even bigger than miracles in the face of the, the, the greatest, most powerful kingdom on earth, and just totally showing those guys up, and all the things I've ever done throughout history, I'm going to show them that I love them, and I'm going to make it abundantly clear. And I'm going to do it on the world's biggest stage, and I'm going to document in a way that nothing's ever been documented before. And everyone is going to know forever that I love them, because I'm going to show it to them really, really clearly. And all that began with Christmas. And so the idea of Christmas is God showing us, the beginning of him showing us very, very clearly how much love he has for us. And the idea is that when God extends salvation and forgiveness of sin towards you, now you know that he's not doing that because he's judging you because he thinks you're terrible. No, 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 it's, it's based out of love and a deep love for us. And in the same way that you discipline your children because you love them, right? God disciplines us and he draws us near to him out of love for him. And if he hadn't demonstrated love for us, we would just think it was all harsh judgment. But Christmas is the beginning of him showing us that he has great love for us. The point of Christmas is love. That's the, that's the beginning of it all. And it's crazier than anything else you could have imagined, the kind of love God has towards you. This past week, uh, I had coffee with uh, Crawford, because, you know, that's what pastors do, play golf and drink coffee, right? Um, but I uh, had, had coffee with Crawford. You guys remember Crawford? He's the, um, he's the uh, interim. He's got a big title. But anyway, he preaches down the street at the uh, Presbyterian Church. He came to the Thanksgiving service. He, uh, he, did a, he had a portion of the service there. So I had coffee with him this past week, and, uh, and he was just telling me a little bit about what he does outside of the church. And he actually works at a garden in, um, in the Carrollton neighborhood, and uh, so it's, it's sort of designed, it's an open garden so people from the community can come. People from um, homeless people can come and share a meal and that kind of thing. So he's telling me a little bit about what he does over there. And he says this, this guy comes in, he's a homeless guy, and they're having this, this meeting once a week. They have a meeting and you can come in, you can get a free meal, it's all garden fresh. And, uh, and they sort of eat together, they serve one another together, there's not really a leader. Somebody prays, somebody shares some scripture, so they do this once a week. And uh, the guy comes in, and, uh, and, and Crawford says, I'm, 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 I'm getting a plate for him, and I'm getting something to drink for him, and I'm setting it all in front of him, you know, and, and I get the drink, somebody else gets him the food, and, um, and, and then somebody, uh, somebody reads some scripture, and somebody prays. And, and after we get through it, the guy goes, man, this is so nice. When is your service? And he's like, here I am in the midst of serving him, and, 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 and someone's praying, and then someone else just, just reads some scripture, but, but it's not in a real haughty way, and we're not standing up at a pulpit, and, and, and he just can't see that the church is happening all around him. Uh, he's just sort of been blinded to what church may be. And, and he begins to, to tell him, and then he tells me too, that uh, the idea of the garden is love demonstrated. It's church lived out in front of you and, and all around you. And it's not just love demonstrated towards someone who is lesser. The idea is love demonstrated equally. So it's homeless, homeowner, chaplain, pastor, everybody gardening together, serving together, sharing scripture together, and all doing all those things together and taking care of one another and that kind of thing. And I just had to think, 
Imagine you and, and you live in the Carrollton neighborhood and you're homeless. And let's say you're not even that, you, you don't have food insecurity, you have some place to get food. So it's not the food that draws you in, but you're walking by and you see a bunch of people from the wealthy to the poor and, and they're all sort of sharing a meal together and it looks like they care for one another. Doesn't that seem like something that you'd want to stop and join? I think when we see this, this picture of the church like that, it looks like something that you want to be a part of because it's unlike anything else that you see anywhere. See, Christmas is, is God's love demonstrated towards all people everywhere, but Christ's church is a people dedicated towards loving one another. And that's the idea of church is that you and I might love one another. What makes a biker gang so attractive? I've never been in a biker gang. I'm not speaking from an insider's perspective. Um, what, I, what I understand um, is that what makes a biker gang so, so attractive is, despite the fact that, that riding, uh, uh, riding a motorcycle, uh, you know, a one-man vehicle, sometimes two, where even if there's two, you can't really talk to the person behind you. You're not free to accept phone calls. Everything about it screams, I don't want anybody around me, Right? But despite the fact that, that you're, you've done everything that you possibly can to get away from everyone else, uh, you join a gang of people that also want to do the same thing. And so the whole idea is the idea of some sense of brotherly love is even greater than my wants to get away from everybody else. And so despite, despite the idea that I want to be separate and alone, some sense of brotherly love draws me in. See, that's the idea of church. It's that we love one another with something even better and bigger and greater than brotherly love. Scripture calls it agape love. It just means we love one another with the love that God extends to us. So ask yourself this question. Um, Do you love people the way that God has extended love to you? Do you love people like this? Do you love people sacrificially? Meaning, like, are you willing to, to die for, for people that, that you do church with? But are you also willing to live with less for them? Sometimes people say, oh, I would die for you. But that opportunity just doesn't come very often. I never really quite have to prove that. But am I willing to live with less for you? Are you willing to love people sacrificially? Um, do you love people that hate you? Do you love people that absolutely can't stand you and seek your own demise? And do you do more than just love them? Do you also do great acts of love towards them? Do you do that kind of thing? That's the kind of love that God extended toward us. Do you love people who refuse to forgive you, and do you offer forgiveness to them? These are hard. If you could say yes to all those, I'm going to step down and you're going to start preaching every week. Because, I mean, that's incredibly challenging. But this is the kind of love that God extended towards us. What if we did that? What if we were a people that did that? What if we were people that that loved one another, demonstrated love like that? What if we woke up from sort of this slumber that we're in where we just kind of come to church on Sunday and sometimes literally slumber? And what if we woke up from some of that and we embrace God's call to live and to love fully? And what if we did that kind of thing? Wouldn't that be something that people would want to come and be a part of? 
What if you could be a part of a group of people where if, 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 if everything, if everyone in your immediate family was gone, and, and, and I don't want to wish that on anyone, but what if that happened? What if you knew that despite that, you have a group of people that love you deeply? Someone's in your corner. Someone's going to care for you. You're never going to do without. Isn't that something that you want to be a part of? I think if you're not a Christian, you might say, if I could find a church like that, I'd consider being a Jesus follower because that would be pretty incredible. Unfortunately, it's not always what the church looks like. I would say, why Christmas? Christmas is to remind us that Christ-like love for one another is what makes being a God follower irresistible. You want to know why some people, sometimes you, you tell people in your family and around you about Jesus, and you say, why would you not want to follow Jesus? And, and if they were candid with you, they say, well, you follow Jesus, you don't even seem that nice. I think some people would probably say that to me, especially on, on Thursday afternoon when, when, you know, you need something Friday at 8, you know. I'm not very lovable towards you when you come to me like that. And, and no wonder people look at us and say, if God is that great, man, the love that you extend doesn't seem that incredible. Christ-like love for one another is what makes being a God follower absolutely irresistible. I would say to you that I would be willing to bet any amount of money that I don't have that more people don't follow Christ because of lack of love from the church than because the story of Jesus is just so unbelievable that they can never wrap their head around it. I don't think they, many people ever even get to the second part because of the first part. My prayer is that you and I, too, absolutely would absolutely wake up. And it wouldn't be one of those things where every few years God has to get our attention with some incredible, terrible thing because we've forgotten over the past few years to live with purpose. The point of Christmas, the point of it all, is absolutely love. And it's not giving and receiving, and it's not shopping, and it's not time off, and those things are incredible, and I love time off, and all that great stuff. But the point of Christmas is that great love was extended to you and to me. And if you're a Jesus follower, I pray, I, and I don't, I don't say I pray, just, just to, that's how I want to put it out there. I mean, I really pray for you and me that we would begin to extend love to the lovable and the unlovable alike. I pray that you and I would begin to do that. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I pray that you would look around this Christmas and see the great love God has towards you. You know what's incredible about the love that God has for you? Even if you despise him, even if you very politely reject him, and in whatever way you say no, he has great love for you still and still invites you to be a part of his family. You know what I think is incredible about God? He invites your questions he invites your skepticism. He invites all of that. It doesn't scare him at all. He knows before you follow him, he knows, and this is true for all of us, he knows about your fear of being a follower. If I made it all the way to, to 40 and I've been in church for a long time and, and, and I say yes to Jesus at 40, then I've got to sort of answer for the last 20 years where I was faking it. Um, that's a hard question to answer. That's a hard thing to do. He invites all that. You have a lot of questions when you come to follow Jesus about what do I have to give up? What about all the people that I am? I going to have to change all my behavior? I don't know if I want to do all those things. He invites all those questions. And he says, you come follow me and here's what we'll do. We'll figure out all those pieces along the way. It's a process that he calls sanctification where we don't have to be perfect and we don't have to do any of that to become a Jesus follower. We just say, Jesus, I want to follow you.
And then we begin to become more like him as we grow in our faith. I love that about Jesus. So here's what I ask you to do. This Christmas season, if you slept through the whole thing, you wake up, I'll give you the cliff notes, okay? Here's what I ask you to do, okay? Um, This Christmas season, every time you hear a Christmas song, you drink out of your favorite Christmas mug, you have some wassail or whatever your holiday tradition is, or you, um, you know, smell your Christmas tree, or you... You listen to 101.9 and they play all the Christmas music or whatever it may be, whatever sort of brings Christmas on your mind, every time you see it, consider the love that God has for you. Consider what Christmas began as and what it's about. I just ask you to do that piece. Every time you see it, just think of that. Maybe when you see it, maybe once a day, the first time you see it, maybe you want to spend a moment just saying, thank you, God, for the love that you extended to me through Christmas. Thank you for that beginning of that. Maybe you want to dig a step further, and maybe during this month, you want to, you want to dig in your Bible and read some, some, some about the Christmas story. Maybe you want to flip to the back of the concordance where it says love, and there are like 175 verses that all talk about God's love towards you all throughout Scripture. Maybe you want to do some of that. I invite you to do some of that this Christmas season. And the last thing that that, that I encourage you to do strongly is I encourage you, as you begin to think about when all the Christmas stuff reminds you of God's love towards you, I invite you to say, now what do I do? What is my response to the way God loved me? And I guarantee you it's not to be still. It's not to continue to do what we're doing. I guarantee you there is some sense of change that needs to come about. I pray that you would do that. Let me pray.